Today's scripture reading will be found in Matthew 21, 18 through 27. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You guys may be seated. And as you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, the one who is, who was, and who is, and will always be. The one who creates, the one who gives life, the one who sustains life, the one who redeems and restores, the one who brings saving faith to your people, the one who has promised to come again and make all things new. Lord, we approach you this morning. And our first prayer is that you would remind us who it is that we approach and whose word it is that we hear. And Lord, we do pray in the name of your son, Jesus, believing that not only does he cover our sin and reconcile us to you, but he intercedes on our behalf even as we pray. So in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would teach us from your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would convict us and shape us and form us by your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with faith. Lord, I do pray over this room this morning. I pray that anyone who is here, who is far from you, who's separated from you, that you would redeem today. We pray that this might be a day of salvation. May it be, O oh God. We also pray over this room, those of us who are stuck in sin, those of us who are blinded, those of us who do not see, would you open our eyes and cause us to see who we really are before you and to see what it is you would have us to do pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, it's so great to be with you all this morning. If you haven't done so yet, please take a Bible 
and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, where Emmy was just reading for us. We at Redeemer have been studying through the book of Matthew, and particularly we're in a place that that is the last week of Jesus's earthly life and ministry. We, We began that last week at the beginning of chapter 21. And so for the rest of Matthew is the last week of Jesus's life and ministry. And what happens in each of these stories, each of these actions, each of these parables, is Jesus is teaching something about what he desires from his people, and he's exposing a way that the Jews of his day were failing. So Jesus is teaching something about what he desires from his people while exposing something about the failure of the Jews to faithfully follow the one true God. And this is going to culminate in Jesus being killed. And it's going to culminate in us learning what the Lord desires from his people. And so what we're going to see in this passage today is that Jesus desires a people who are fruitful and dependent. Jesus desires a people who are fruitful and dependent. I'm just realizing that most of you are sitting in a different place today, and it's just messing with me. (laughs) I don't want to be that church where it's like, excuse me, sir, get out of my seat. But like I'm looking around and I'm like, well, you're not supposed to be there and you're not supposed to be there. I don't know. Who went first? Who who broke the code? (laughs) And I'm a man with a one-track mind, so I'm trying to preach, but I'm trying to be like, anyway. It's, It's the desire of Jesus that his people be fruitful and his people be dependent upon him. So that's what we're going to see in the passage. We we titled the sermon, Whose Authority? Because all of that comes to this question at the end of the passage of, well, why is Jesus fit to say and do these things? And that's probably the question for us all as well. Do we believe that Jesus is fit to say and do the things that he says? And does. So let's look at the passage together. Um, if you want to take notes this morning, our first point is bearing fruit, bearing fruit. And, and, and on this point, we're, we're really looking at verses um, 18 and 19. And we could read this story very, very wrong. Jesus was hungry. The tree didn't have any fruit. So he got mad and killed it. That's not the right way to read the story. Everything that Jesus is doing here is intended to reveal something about his desires for his people. I've said that. And a way, some ways in which Israel was failing to be that fruitful and faithful people that the Lord desired. So what happens is it does say they were returning to the city from out in the suburbs of Jerusalem 
And as they were returning, it tells us Jesus became hungry. And so he sees a fig tree. And here's what's really important about this fig tree. It's in full leaf. It's in full leaf. And I don't study agriculture that much, but this week I did. And a fig tree that's in full leaf is also supposed to have figs. So full leaf is kind of a declaration of fruit is here. It's a declaration of this tree's alive and this tree is growing. And so the point of this activity that Jesus did, and by the way, it's not a mere parable because he really did it. He really did it. But the point is Jesus saw a tree with all the markers of life and fruit and he got to the tree and the tree had no fruit. So Jesus condemns the tree and the tree withers. So this really happened. Okay, we're not questioning whether this happened. This is no mere parable or no mere allegory. This happened. But why did it happen? Why did it happen? It seems that Jesus is conveying a spiritual reality that it's better to to let your external appearance match what you really are than to hypocritically portray the wrong reality about yourself. So Jesus is basically saying, this tree's fruitless, so I'm going to make it look fruitless. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is Jesus desires a people who are both fruitful and bear the evidences of spiritual life. Jesus desires the people who are fruitful, that is, faithful to the Lord, that is, bearing fruit of real faith and dependence upon the Lord, and because they're alive, they look alive. And what Jesus seems to be condemning is those which give off the appearance of life, but are actually fruitless, are actually fruitless. So I don't think it's in some form of anger or capriciousness or frustration that Jesus withers the tree, but rather he withers the tree to show the disciples what the tree really is, fruitless, fruitless. Okay, so what are we supposed to take away from this? Number one, Jesus desires fruitfulness from his followers. Jesus desires fruitfulness from his followers. I put that as number one because in Mark's gospel, Mark's telling of this story, Mark chapter 13, verses 28 and 29, Jesus explains it. And this is what he says. This is what he says. Those who truly belong to Christ, those who truly have spiritual life in them, those who are the true followers of the one true God are intended by God to bear the fruit of faith, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to bear the fruit of being one with God in Christ. Jesus desires 
fruitfulness. And you may say, okay, well, why is that such a big deal? Because it's so easy for us to say this. We're all evil, wretched sinners. By the way, the Bible says that's true. And all of our best works are just filthy rags before the Lord. The Bible also says that's true. So really, it all just comes down to faith. It all just comes down to how we respond to Jesus. The Bible also says that's true. But that's stopping short because the Bible also goes on and says, you who have Christ have the Spirit. And you who have the Spirit are intended to bear the fruit of having the Spirit in you. You are no longer what you once were, but you are a new creation in Christ. So what the scripture testifies to is those of us who are in Christ aren't dead trees anymore. We're living trees. But because we're living trees, we're not just supposed to give off the appearance of life, but we're to bear spiritual life. So the most concise and pointed place to think about fruitfulness is Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Read the whole thing, meditate on it, pray over it. But verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires such that we're able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. What we're being told in this enacted story is Jesus desires fruitfulness from his people. Second, what we're being told is religiosity does not equal fruitfulness. Religiosity does not equal fruitfulness. What I mean by religiosity is external spiritual performance. We, we know re- religiosity, right? Like, I go to church on a Sunday, and I even take a shower and shave and put on my best clothes, and um, I act really happy to be there, and I, I, I might even take a worship posture during the singing. Probably all these things are good if they are flowing from a heart of faith, but those religious expressions alone truly mean nothing. Maybe I even have um, a, a Jesus bumper sticker on my car and I took one of those Redeemer stickers and I put that on my car and uh, I drink out of that Redeemer coffee mug regularly. I might have gotten the chocolates three or four times. Like, Like all those things are fine and good if they flow from a heart of faith. But just as external performance, it's religiosity. So we are understanding this idea of religiosity. Just external adherence to expectation intended to show that I'm holy without actually knowing the Lord and following the Lord and having a new heart that's united to the Lord. That's what religiosity is. 
And basically what's happening in Matthew 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 and 26 is Jesus is saying that the Jews of his day were filled with mere religiosity and he is condemning it. They're filled with mere religiosity and he's condemning it. We saw it in last week's passage when he went into the temple and condemned their expression because it was mere religiosity. So Jesus is not after our religiosity. He's after fruitfulness. Again, fruitfulness is a faith united to God in Christ that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and righteousness and obedience and does the work of the Lord and pursues the will of the Lord and wants to honor the Lord more than perform the acts of the world. This passage shows that Jesus is after fruitfulness, not mere religiosity. And so in this enacted parable, green leaves are mere religiosity that say, hey, there's spiritual life here. And fruit is actual spiritual life. Jesus is saying, hey, we need both. Third, in the parable that's, or that, the, the story, the actions of Jesus, what's being condemned is, what's being cursed is mere religiosity. What's being cursed is mere religiosity. This mere acting as if there's an aroma of Jesus here when there's not an aroma of Jesus here. Now, friends, it is so, so easy for us to read this passage as a condemnation of the practices of the Jews in the first century during the life of Jesus. Because it is. It is. But if I made that my driving point today, I would be letting us all off the hook so quickly because we could be like, those Jews, I mean, gosh, can you believe them? Uh, but I don't think that's what the Lord would want us to take from this. I think that what the Lord would want us to ask is, what part of our life and faith looks a whole lot like leaves with no fruit? And what part of our life and faith is just as guilty maybe in a different way as the Jewish people in Jerusalem during the life of Jesus were guilty? It's a lot harder question to meditate upon and ponder tomorrow morning when you wake up. But I'm pleading with you to ponder that question. The reality of a life in Christ is it's not all fruit and zero religiosity. I would hope there's more fruitfulness than mere religiosity, but the reality is we're all a mixed bag. And the Lord has work to do in all of us. Now, lest you mishear what I'm saying, 
I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't come to church. I'm not saying don't worship freely. I'm not saying don't express yourself in worship. I'm not saying don't give to the church. I'm not saying don't serve in the church. I'm not saying don't declare your faith in the Lord publicly as you see fit. I'm saying let those actions be an overflow of a faith that bears fruit. Let them be real fruit and not just things we do to try to convince ourselves and convince others that we're more holy than we really are. And friends, this really drives us to some internal reflection and to a good Christian friend who might be willing to have some hard conversations with If you're really, really feeling froggy, ask your roommate or your spouse where you are truly bearing fruit and where you are just faking it. It'll be good for your soul, but it might be a tough 20 minutes. This passage makes a very important second point. And it's one about prayer. I said that Jesus is eager for people who are fruitful and dependent. And prayer is an act of dependence upon God. And what Jesus, I I believe, is ultimately saying in, in verses 20 through 22 is, if If we understand who he is and we're fully dependent upon him, then we will ask him to accomplish impossible things. And he is eager to answer the cries of his people. So look at it with me. Verse 20. When the disciples saw what Jesus had done, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus didn't say, because I'm Jesus and you're not. Which I think would have been an accurate answer. But he said, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even more, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Now, Jesus is not intending to communicate that his disciples are as powerful as him. He is not intending to communicate that his disciples can do everything that he can do. What he's intending to communicate is that he is willing and eager to work his power through his disciples. And he's willing to work his power through the praying and asking of his disciples. So this phrase, say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it appears in chapter 17. And it was a local idiom of the day, meaning do the impossible. So it was was an idiom understood as do the impossible. And so what Jesus is saying is if you have faith, that's confidence in who 
I am and what I'm able to do and truly, and do not doubt, meaning truly believe that I'm eager to work my power through my people, then impossible things can be done. Ask in prayer, ask in faith, and expect that I'm willing to work. Ask in prayer, ask in faith, and expect that I'm willing to work. Ultimately, ultimately what Jesus is saying is understand who I am, understand that I'm willing to work my power through my people and ask in faith. So there's this delicate balance here. We are not God. Can you all join me in that? Like, we're not God. So, because Jamie is not God, I can't look out at a situation and say, it would be best for the plans and purposes and kingdom of God for A to happen instead of B. But what I can do, so, so, so Jesus is not saying, He's making us into little gods who can determine the future. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying I can do is I can understand who God is and I can believe that he's eager to work through his people and I can ask in hope and confidence in Christ for him to work his good in this particular situation. And this is where most of us really intellectual Christians stop and believe that he's eager to answer and believe that he's eager to answer. We're so afraid of sounding like name it and claim it and tell God what to do that we forget these teachings like Jesus where he says, I'm eager to answer the prayers of my people in faith. I'm eager to answer the prayers of my people in faith. So this is twice now in the teaching of Jesus. It was in 17, chapter 17. Now here it is in chapter 21. If repetition is intended to communicate significance, which I believe it is, then Jesus seems to be saying that, that one of the pieces of a life of faith and fruitfulness is to consistently and constantly be taking the warp and the woof of a life in a fallen world before him and pleading for him to move and to work and move and to work. And some days it might happen immediately. Sometimes it might happen in three or four or five years. Sometimes it might happen when you're so weary you can't even ask anymore. And sometimes in the Lord's providence, it might not happen because his plans are going to carry out in another way. But Jesus seems to be saying, I want you to be a 
people who ask in faith. I want you to be a people who come before me again and again and again and ask in faith. I think, and I think I'm quite certain that what I want to grow in in my own life and what I would love to see our church growing in is becoming a people who boldly, confidently ask in faith in all situations. What if before we posted on social media, we asked in faith? What if before we started texting and calling friends for them to tell us it's going to be okay, which by the way, that's a good thing. I'm for that. But what if before we did that, we asked in faith? And what if after we did all that, we asked in faith again? And what if when you got that text message from your friend whose life is falling apart or whose children have gone wayward or whose church is falling apart, instead, before we respond with an emoji, we ask in faith for them. And we ask in faith. And we ask in faith. Guys, what if asking in faith, asking boldly, asking in faith, asking boldly, asking in faith, asking in boldly became the, the ebb and the flow of this group of a couple hundred Christians? I'm of the confidence that the Lord would move and he would answer. Why am I of the confidence that he would move and he would answer? Because Christ promises so. Because Christ came and lived and died and rose again so that we could be made the children of God and we could, as the children of God, approach God as a good, eternal father. Now, the next section, which I haven't even touched and, and now has been grafted into next week's sermon, um, but what it really does is it asks this question. What makes Jesus think he can offer this to his people? And the answer is because he's the Savior sent by the Father to redeem a people who will walk in his ways forever.